Good morning. Merry Christmas to all of you. Everybody made it here safely. If you are visiting us here for the very first time this Christmas at Hosanna in our room and online, we want to say welcome to all of you. We're so excited to be worshiping and celebrating today with you because we are gathered here today to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And it's important um, to do that. It's important to have this time because I don't know about you, but um, as I look around the world today, our world seems to be in desperate need of hope. There's a lot of uncertainty taking place. Um, many are still waiting for things to get better after the last few years that we've had. And you know, we're currently in a time where we're experiencing the not a recession as our economy is, is struggling <laughs> through difficulty. Um, global warming is so out of control that we're having the coldest Christmas in modern memory. That was sarcasm if you didn't pick up on that. Um, but, you know, with all that's going on right now, even during this season, people are, are hoping that their flights don't get canceled. People are hoping that their power stays on. In and through all of that, there's people who are still hoping for employment and their financial situations to improve. People are hoping for health. Overall, just hoping for normalcy and reconciliation. Some are hoping for forgiveness, and the ultimate need that every single human being has is the hope for salvation. Well, this weekend, as we're gathering together as the body of Christ to celebrate and remember this, what we're celebrating is the coming of hope, the arrival of hope, the birth of hope, the only true hope that humanity has and will ever have, which arrived 2,000 years ago, the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You know, and so I just want to remind all of us and encourage all of us as we're here to remember this wonderful moment that in the midst of all the celebrations today, in the midst of the gift giving, don't forget that Christ is the greatest gift that was ever given. Christ is the greatest gift that has ever been given in the church. We, as believers, we're a body of people who have received that gift. If you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have received the gift of hope the gift of forgiveness, the gift of salvation. And in turn, we are called then to offer that gift back out to the hopeless world that we came from. Because there are so many out there, especially during this season, in the midst of all the celebration and the secular fanfare of Christmas that they get depressed. And they're suffering because maybe they've lost a loved one and this is the first Christmas they're experiencing without that loved one here physically with them. Others are struggling in different ways, and as they see all of this celebration around them, they're struggling with the very idea that does hope even exist? And as believers, we have a great opportunity to share the true, true hope of Jesus Christ with those who need it. And so as we gather today with our fam families, let us not forget as we reflect and appreciate the gift that has been given to us to offer that greatest gift out to those who don't yet have it as you might be driving around or traveling and stopping by Starbucks because they're still open, pass out a track, say Merry Christmas, and encourage them that Jesus has been born because Jesus is the only real hope in this difficult world. Well, you know, when Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago, the world was also a difficult place and many needed hope then as well. And so today, as we celebrate, we're going to look at the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, the coming of hope, 
and remember and celebrate together what this time is all about. But before we get to that, we're going to join with the angels and sing praise and worship to our King. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, so much. Lord, we say happy birthday. Lord, we're here to celebrate your coming to this earth, Lord, and just to set aside time to remember that the greatest event that could ever happen, that ever happened, that could ever possibly happen to humanity was you, God, coming to this earth, being born as a man, that you would then live as a man, that you would die the death that we deserve and be resurrected, giving us the hope of salvation. Lord, we are so thankful that you came to this earth in this place, God, and we are so thankful, Lord, to be here together to celebrate this moment, the birth of Jesus Christ. God, we want to start this morning by worshiping you and praising your holy name, God, because you are so worthy, and we ask, Lord, that you would just fill us with your spirit, that you would just guide us and lead us today as we celebrate you and share you with those that maybe don't know you, Lord. But God, we ask in this moment right now that you would be blessed as we worship you. We love you so much, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 this morning, and if you'll turn there or swipe there or whatever your method of getting there is. It says in verse 1, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. I mentioned in the intro that the days during the birth of Christ were as difficult as days are today. And this detail that Luke gives us here is very important because as you read the opening to the Christmas story here in Luke 2, you go, well, who is Caesar Augustus? Who is this guy? Well, at the time, he was effectively the ruler of the entire known world. He was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. He was a man who was a born fighter, very stern, very difficult man who rose to power by defeating Antony and Cleopatra. And then after that defeat, he went on through his just genius. He was a brilliant man. And his sheer force of personality to bring a long-lasting stability to the Roman Empire. But when we look at his name there, it calls him Caesar Augustus. And the reason that detail is there, I believe, is because he was the first Caesar to call himself Augustus. And it's an important detail for us to know because that word Augustus means holy or revered. And at the time, it was a title that was reserved for the gods alone. But it was under the rule of Caesar Augustus that there was a push made for the people to start looking at the Caesars as gods, as divine. In fact, at the time of the Gospel of Luke, many people in the world at that time in the Roman Empire hailed Caesar Augustus as the savior of the whole world. And when he died, people actually comforted themselves by saying, well, gods can't die, so therefore he's not dead, we're good. So at the time of birth, and this is why I point this out, at the time of the birth of Jesus, the world was ruled by a self-proclaimed and widely accepted God and Savior of the world. And Luke, I believe, includes this detail because he's trying to set the scene for us to present this as the setting for the coming of the real savior of the world, the true savior of the world. The contrast between these is is huge. And so in verse two, Luke goes on to write, this first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered each to his own town. 
As a result of the rule of Caesar Augustus, um, there had been in place at that time about 10 years of no conflict, no wars. You know, Rome had kind of, you know, beaten everybody at this point. And so it was a time of alleged peace, but it was a dark peace because the way the world was ran under his rule was that if you said anything bad about the government, you disappeared. And so it was a forced peace born out of fear and control. It wasn't a true peace. And it spoke of uh, really difficult times for people. And as a result of his rule, he uh, exacted taxes and tribute from every single part of the empire. And when it came to the taxes and the tribute, you complied or else. And it was like during his rule, he hired 185,000 new agents and had them go out and get the money from the people. So everyone, it says, was registered in the empire so that they could track who paid the taxes, who didn't pay the taxes, who was caught up, who wasn't. And in order to register, the people in the empire had to actually go back to their hometown or their town of birth, and this included a tiny village at the far side of the Mediterranean. And so thus it was here in verses 2 and 3 of Luke that the scene is set for a carpenter and his teenage bride to be forced to travel back to their hometown to register for taxation. And we pick it up in verse four. It says, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, that's where they were, and they had to go to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. So this journey he had to take from Nazareth back down to Bethlehem, it was about a 70 to 80 mile journey. Some of you are gonna be traveling those types of distances today as you go see family throughout the day. But in that time, there were no cars and no mass transportation. A journey like that was likely taken on foot for most people because unless you were rich or wealthy, you really couldn't afford a horse or a cart. And so Mary and Joseph being poor likely took this entire journey on foot. And it tells us there that Mary was pregnant. Of course, as the birth is about to happen, we know that Mary is full term, and so you can imagine it was probably a very, very miserable journey for her. And in the world's eyes, Mary, being a poor peasant girl, was, was a nobody from a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Her and Joseph were both poor peasants, and so they had nothing. They were poor that meant they were likely uneducated, not really worthy of notice, just insignificant specks on the world stage. And on the outside, it couldn't have been the worst possible timing for this registration to take place. She's about to give birth. Mary, I imagine, was likely concerned about having to have her baby far from home, far from friends and family, far from parents, far from all the people, the support system that she had around her to, to, to help take care of her in the birth of this child. But there's an important detail that we get from Luke chapter one that gives us context of this girl Mary who is about to give birth to the savior of the world. She understood who she was and she understood who God was. And that is always key when we find ourselves in situations where we're lacking hope, where we're not sure how things are gonna turn out, when we're worried about what's going on around us. When we know who God is, and we know who we are as God's children, it changes everything. You see, she had learned very early on that she wasn't just pregnant. She was pregnant with the Son of the Most High. 
And so in Luke chapter one, verse 46, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of the heart. You see, the gift of Jesus Christ changes lives. But that gift often comes in places where there's humility and need and want. The gift of Jesus appears in those places where there is hopelessness and need because that's the very place where people cry out and say, I need something. I have no hope. I need hope. And Joseph and Mary, they're a beautiful picture of the mystery of grace. Because Christ, although he offers himself to all of mankind and offers himself to every single human being, he doesn't often come to the proud and the powerful and the wealthy and the rich. Not because he doesn't want to, but because people that have everything they need often don't think they need God. They don't need God. They don't need forgiveness. They don't need salvation in their own mind, and so they never seek him. But the poor and the powerless the helpless and the hopeless are in a perfect position to see the glory of God appear and come into their lives. You know, 700 years prior to the story we're reading, there was a prophecy made in Micah chapter five, verse two, and it says this, Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah, but one will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin, <clears throat> excuse me, is from antiquity and from ancient times. And most Jews were aware of this prophecy. This little, small, insignificant town called Bethlehem was gonna be a place where the long-waited-for ruler of Israel would come from. 700 years after that prophecy was made, this insignificant, poor, uneducated couple's forced journey, this worst-timed journey to, to, to this small, insignificant city, this town called Bethlehem, set the stage for the fulfillment of this wonderful prophecy. And again, from the outside, one might look at the story of Mary and Joseph and, and, and see helpless pawns caught by bad circumstances. The worst possible time for this to take place, but every single move was orchestrated by the hand of Almighty God. And we can't ever forget that that in the deepest depths of our despair, God is at work. God's hand is moving. And today in Christmas, we celebrate him taking that first step to be the savior of all mankind. And so after their long journey, they finally arrived in Bethlehem. Now, as I said, it was a difficult journey, a difficult time, a long way to walk. But it didn't just look hopeless on the outside. That baby that Mary carried was not just a man, was not just a Caesar who would think he is God the Savior. The baby she carried was something far greater, far more important, the true God who would become a man to truly save the entire world. And so verse six, Luke says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. It's a very short and simplistic description of what is happening here because verse seven then just says she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You know, this isn't the wonderful, clean, happy manger scenes that adore many of our homes right now. 
right? Manger scenes are just so beautiful. We have one out front, you know, and people set them up. And of course, I always get frustrated because the wise men weren't there at the birth. It was two years later. So I like to take the wise men and set them on the other side of the home and move them closer as time goes by. But, but if you have the wise men there, that's all good. We're celebrating a moment, a moment in time. But what's taking place here at the birth of Jesus was not that beautiful, clean, happy manger scene. The accommodations of Bethlehem were very primitive, nothing like modern hotels or what we would expect to go stay in a place while we're traveling. There's different thoughts about what the places were there, but, but the one that I, I think fits most is, is in studies in archaeology, they find that, that in these traveling uh, places where travelers would stop, they're often like a series of stalls. If you think like a wagon wheel, and there was stalls around the outside of this area that were covered stalls that they called guest rooms for people to stay in. In the middle of this area is where all these travelers would put their animals, their horses, their donkeys, their beasts of burden. They would all hitch them up in the middle, and the animals would all gather together and, and eat there and, and, and do what animals do right there. And all the people on the outside, especially if it was a lower-income area, would, would sleep in these stalls that surrounded this open common area. And so they arrive on this night, and it tells us that not a stall, not a single stall was available. This expectant couple arriving to this place for this registration that was forced upon them couldn't find a, ple- a place to give birth to this child. And again, you imagine it's a desperate, hopeless situation. Despite the, the obvious urgency there, nobody would make room for them. I find that just kind of uh, just like today. Today, people might find themselves getting assaulted, and and sometimes everybody just wants to whip out their phone and take a video or take pictures instead of do something to help, which is just a picture of the darkness, I think the wickedness in mankind's heart to, I don't want to help, I don't want to get involved. And the same thing happened to Mary and Joseph here. Nobody would even give them their stall. She was obviously pregnant. She was possibly in labor at this very moment where Joseph is like, please, just can, can, we, can we use your stall? No, 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 no. I imagine the stress and the anxiety and the urgency and the adrenaline and due to the circumstances, the hopelessness that they might have been feeling. And it says they laid him in a manger. We sing it in our songs. We always talk about the manger. We see beautiful little pictures of the manger, but we got to understand what that word manger means. That word manger means feeding trough, feeding trough. You see, it was out in the open sky of the common yard where all the animals were all tied up, standing there, and in their feeding troughs, right in that area where the animals were eating and standing, that was where Mary gave birth to God in the flesh. If you imagine Jesus was born in a freshly swept country fair stable with a cute barnwood hay-filled bassinet. Um, You missed the whole point of the story because the whole situation was wretched and miserable. It wasn't a preferred scenario. It wasn't ideal in any way. You see, the birth of Christ, this moment, this time, it was clearly a step down for God the Son who is the creator of the universe the one who had existed in heaven in perfect radiating glory and perfect majesty, now existing in the flesh, laying under an open sky in the middle of a courtyard in a feeding trough that was probably 
gross with food and whatever that the animals were eating there. Born to the poorest of the poor in the most meager of accommodations. The contrast couldn't be greater when you think of God Almighty in his glory and him being born in the flesh. No child born that day seemed to have lower prospects. And this is what Christmas celebrates. Christmas celebrates God being born into this world, not as a glorious, powerful ruler or prince, but born into this world as as a cast-off nothing, as a baby not even worthy of note, a baby people wouldn't even give a stall to. And we can't ever forget that this is where Christianity began. And this is where Christianity always begins. When all seems hopeless. When, when we feel absolutely helpless. When we feel like that we're not even worthy of notice or concern or we feel like that nothing is going our way and life is just falling apart. It's in the most desperate, hopeless, tragic conditions that we often see that Jesus arrives. And what does he arrive with? Hope. He arrives with hope. Christ comes to the needy and the cast-offs and the insignificant. Scripture tells us that he's born into the lives of those who are poor in spirit, who recognize their lack, recognize their need, recognize that before the glory of God, we're not good people. We might try, but compared to the almighty perfection of God, you know, the reality is, is we've sinned. We've broken his law. And you could receive every gift in the world, but it doesn't matter if you're going to jail. The gift you need in that moment is forgiveness and freedom and salvation, and that's what Jesus brings. He came to give hope to the hopeless. He came to give hope to those who recognize their great need, and this is such a wonderful picture of the work of Christ in our lives. And the real meaning of this is huge. The real meaning of this is huge for us. God became a real man. Not just someone who appeared to be a man. God came to this earth born as a real human. When he was born, he placed his all-powerfulness, his, his all-presence, his all-knowingness. He, he placed all of that under the discretion of, of his father, He was still fully God while he was fully man, but he put the power and the exercise of his divinity under the discretion of his father, not giving them up, but submitting their exercise to his father's will. And so there he was, God the Son, creator of the universe in a real human body with a real human mind and real human emotions complete with all their inherent human weaknesses. God was there, a real baby in a real world, amidst real people who likewise have real challenges and real needs. But that also means that he was there amongst people who need real hope. And when you think about God coming to this earth in the flesh and being born you know, we see in Scripture that, that it tells us he, he subjected himself to his own creation. All the physical laws of the universe he created, all the challenges and the ups and downs, he, he subjected himself to that willingly. 
It means that he would experience the development of human reason and human language. He, he would be taught things in, in, in his humanity that he did not know. He would walk like a baby before he walked like a man. He would think like a baby before he thought like a man. He would experience everything that humans experience in every way. Growing pains were just as real for him as they are for us. Times of despair and hopelessness presented themselves in his life just as they do in us. But it's incidentally why he, God, God Almighty is able to identify with us to identify with us in our weaknesses and our struggles. It's why he has such an amazing capacity for sympathy and empathy and understanding. You know, Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. God came to this earth to live the human life that we all live with all its challenges. He came to this earth to live all of that so he would have an unequaled capacity to sympathize with us, to empathize with us. And his understanding goes way beyond just an intellectual understanding. He gets it because he was there. He felt it. He experienced it. The only difference is that he did all the learning and all the growing and all the maturing sinlessly perfectly, without error, and he gifts that perfect life, that sinless life to us when we put our faith in him. That is the ultimate result of what we celebrate today in Christmas, is that we would be able to stand before God and have God look at us and go, spotless, blameless, perfect, sinless, and we can only stand there because of the free gift of Jesus Christ his death on the cross and the perfect life he lived. It's, it, the, the, the Bible calls it the, um, uh, the ministry of reconciliation, I believe it is. Where, where when we put our faith in Jesus, this perfect life that Jesus lived without sin and error is substituted for our life of all kinds of sin and error. And God goes, yeah, I'm gonna exchange these. I'm gonna put this life on Christ. And that's what happened on the cross. He suffered for all of our wrongdoing, but then that perfect life is given to us and God goes, hey, you never did anything wrong. Not something we deserve, but something we're given as a free gift, a free gift, and it all started with his birth into this world. I think all of us have times where we feel nobody understands or much less cares, but the truth is any type of situation in our life that we could possibly experience, he experienced. He knows, he gets it. And he says, I could give you hope in the midst of that. So the story begins to move quickly as the birth of Christ was announced in verse eight of Luke two. It says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. I imagine that might've been the sound when the glory appeared. Bling. Maybe a little more amazing than that, but, 
But the shepherds were, were, were out in the field, it says there, and we know it was at night. It says it was, they were at night with their flock, and so we know that it was nighttime when, when, when the birth happened here. And it says, suddenly an angel appeared. And then, like a star exploding, the glory of the Lord shone around them. And it says, they recoiled in terror. In verse 10, it says, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth, lying in a manger. You know, the fact that the announcement of the Savior's birth came to shepherds first is a very important detail to remember. The angels didn't go to the kings. They didn't go to Caesar. They didn't go to the rich and the powerful. They didn't go to those with the most followers, those with the most subscribers. They didn't go to those who had the greatest influence and reach. They went to the shepherds. Because remember, God often appears to those who are ready to receive him, those who are needy, those who are poor in spirit, those who might not have hope to, much to hope in, those who might say, I need a savior. And he appears to them. And at this time, and the reason it's important is because at this time, shepherds were, were, were despised by good, respectable people. <laughs> shepherds were not thought of very highly. The only people that were worse than shepherds in the society were lepers. Lepers who were told to stay outside of the cities and if a leper was coming, they were required by law to proclaim unclean, unclean, so nobody got close to them. And so they had no relationships and, and, and no contact and nothing. And, and, and shepherds were one step above that. According to the Jewish Mishnah, it says that at that time, shepherds were viewed as thieves. And so at the time of the writing of Luke and the birth of, or the birth of Jesus, they were under a ban where they couldn't even enter the towns. You just stay out in the, in the gross outside with your dirty sheep, and we'll come and get the sheep when we need them. And a lot of scholars think that that was the reason why they happened to be so close to Bethlehem at this time, because they needed to be close enough so that the nearby Jerusalem, when they had to do sacrifices in the temple, they can go get the sheep. And so that's why they were so close. But again, we see that the gospel here, the good news of great joy, as angels said, is for all people. It says, they have come to proclaim good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now this news came first to the outcasts, those that were deemed less by the world, and that just simply doesn't make sense to worldly logic. Right, the king of the world, the savior of the world, the most important gift that has ever arrived, the most important moment that will ever take place in the history of man. Um, the world says it's the elite, the elite that should get that information first. It's the rich, the powerful. They are the ones who deserve the greatest gifts, right? I had someone this morning walk through the door. They go, hey, did you see my new Lamborghini outside? I said, no, and they go, me neither. <laughs> But it's those people in the world that, that sometimes think they're so self-sufficient and they are the all in all and, and they are all they need and, and they're the ones that think, I deserve the greatest gifts and I deserve the dignitaries and I deserve the important people to come to me. And they think that the greatest gifts in the world should be reserved for them and them alone. 
But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 tells us this. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. And so this morning, do you maybe feel weak or small in the face of life and what's going on? Do you feel insignificant or despised or like nothing? You know, if those thoughts run through your head or you're struggling with that or wrestling with that, I want you to know something. God chooses you. But if you feel insignificant and despised, God chooses you because he's gonna use you to make those that think they're everything realize they're nothing. Because the reality is, is without God, we are nothing. Without God, we have nothing. And he does that so that when we stand before God in in his glory, we won't take credit for being there. That we won't boast. That we won't find ourselves standing before God and going, well, of course, God, I was, you know, you, you know who I was in the world. You know how important I was. You know what I did, what I accomplished, how much money I had, how many cars I had, whatever, whatever. God's like, no, 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 I'm gonna come into the most desperate, hopeless lives. Those who realize that they actually, they deserve judgment because they've sinned. Those that feel like they have nothing, maybe feel like they are nothing, he goes, I'm gonna come into those lives and I'm gonna choose that person because when I do a work in their lives, man, it's just gonna glorify nobody but God. God doesn't offer us salvation because we've earned it or because we're worthy of it or we're fancy enough for it or we're important enough for it. He offers us salvation because he loves us. He loves us. The insignificant, the despised, the nothing. And he comes into the lives, he's born into the lives of the insignificant and the despised and the nothing because we are something to him. We are everything to him. And so a real God was born as a real human to live and become the only acceptable sacrifice for our sin. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. That's that swap I was talking about. Whatever we've done, he paid the price for it. Whatever you've done, he's paid the price for it. Today is the very notice of like, hey, I offer you a free gift of my life. Believe in me. Receive what I've done for you, the perfect life I lived, the death I died on the cross, paying the price for your sin. Receive it. That's all you got to do is receive it. And he did all that he did so that we could live free. The greatest gift of all. And so it says the angel said, we're here to proclaim good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Although I've stated a few times that he comes to those that are in need and those that, 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 that have need and express need, he's here for all people. He's here for everybody. He's here for all the people. Whoever you are, he can deliver you. He can help you. He can give you hope and he can save you. And sometimes those that have everything that a human could ever want are the very ones that realize 
none of this means anything. And if that's you this morning, Jesus is here to choose you too. Jesus is here to offer himself to you too. And so after the angel told the shepherds what they were there to tell them, something wonderful happened in verse 13 of Luke 2. It says, suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. This is one of my favorite verses in scripture. And the reason is, is, is if you put yourselves there, in, in, in the sandals of those shepherds, and imagine what it was like. It says, suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel. So the angel shows up, the angel speaks, don't be afraid. And then boom, flash. They're surrounded by angels. And just so you get the picture of the glory of this moment, that word multitude there, that word multitude means all of them. It means the whole number. What that word is telling us is that every angel that exists in that moment appeared in the proclamation of the birth of God in human flesh, the birth of the Savior, the Messiah, the one that was going to save all of mankind, all of the angels were there to celebrate. And they all lifted their voices and said, glory to God, peace on earth to people he favors. They're to celebrate the God-man, the perfect Savior, the newborn King. Because they knew that as he was here now and he was coming to, to deal with sin once and for all, true peace is what could be found now by, by his creation. And, and, and I always ask that question, do you have peace? Do you have peace today? Some of us are like, yeah, now that the shopping is done, I have peace again. I'm not talking about that kind of peace. I'm talking about that soul peace. That sense of like, I know my creator. I know I'm forgiven of every sin I've ever done and every sin I ever will do. Because you can through Christ if you don't. So soon the angels departed, the overwhelming glory faded. Since it was night, I imagine the constellations reappearing and the shepherds were alone again. But you're not going to have an experience like that and just go, hey, that was cool. Right? So verse 15, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Straight to Bethlehem, it says, they hurried off. I always see the picture of these shepherds, you know, hiking up their shepherd robes and just charging, hurtling over fences and, you know, just, just eager to get there, showing up in this courtyard, breathing heavy, hearts pounding, sweating. Where is he? Where is he? And then they see him sitting in a feeding trough. Parents close by in the middle of all these stinky animals. If you've ever been in a barn, you know what I'm talking about. Just as they were told, it says, the Savior of the world and then they went on to report the message they were told about this child. They immediately began to announce the good news to everyone there. I picture them going up to every single stall, 
the Messiah. I imagine possibly some of those people in the stalls going, oh, you mean that couple we turned away? (laughs) The Savior of the world, God is here in the flesh. The Messiah, the one we have been waiting for, he has been born. And it says, all who heard it were amazed. That word amazed means to have wonder. It's the idea of can this be? Wow, astonished, is this real? But Mary, it says in her humility, didn't say anything, just quietly meditated on these truths. And then the shepherds returned to the flocks, glorifying and praising God. You know, I want to close on this thought today. It's not enough just to hear about Jesus. It's not enough to just have someone report the birth of Jesus to you. Right, every year we come to this season and, and there's debate, you know, right? It's, it's, look, I'll just be honest with you guys. Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. <gasps> That's just the day we celebrate. And there's a whole reason for that. You could study all of that. But it's the day we've come together on the calendar as a church to say we want to celebrate that, that God was born in the flesh. And every year as we go up through the season, there's all the debates, you know, oh, don't say Merry Christmas, it has to be Happy Holidays and, and all that nonsense. And, you know, and then we counter with, no, Jesus is the reason for the season, right? And all this stuff that goes on every single year. And the name of Christ is all over the place during the Christmas season. People can't get away from the name of Christ because it's right in the word Christmas. but it's not enough to just hear about Jesus. It's not enough even to just peek into the manger. Walk by that manger scene, oh, how nice. Oh, what a lovely little scene. Look at the chubby little baby, so cute. The truth is, if Christ was born in Bethlehem a thousand times, but never born within your heart, you're eternally lost. And it doesn't matter what happens in this life and how you live and how many gifts you receive in this life and things and accolades and fame and and it doesn't matter. Because if Jesus is not born into your heart, when you leave this earth, the Bible says it's the judgment. The Christ who was born into this world must be born into your heart. You have to receive the free gift that he offers you. That's really what Christmas is all about. It's not about getting what we want, it's getting what we need. And we need Jesus. This world needs Jesus. And so God included this story, I believe, with these details in the Bible so we wouldn't miss the point. That the real savior of the world was not Caesar Augustus. The real savior of the world is not any other great leader, president, congressperson. The real savior of the world isn't some billionaire who's buying up social media companies. The real savior of the world isn't some sports figure or some musician or performer or famous person. The real savior of the world is Jesus Christ. God the Son, born in the flesh, who came to earth, was born of a woman, born in a human body, died in a human body, and then was resurrected and now lives in a glorified body at the right hand of the Father in heaven, praying for you, praying for me. Truly, that elicits a hallelujah from us. You know, the incarnation was real, 
Christ's identification with his creation was complete. His understanding and his sympathy are real and total. And because it's, it's because he experienced physically and emotionally everything that we have. He started in the worst possible of circumstances so that you could believe. If your life is, is the worst possible circumstances right now, he started in those circumstances so that you would believe if he could be born there, he could be born in my life too. If God would come into that situation, he could be born into my situation. He could change my life. His complete identification means that he could save you, whatever the circumstances of your life are, but you have to accept him. You have to accept his sacrifice for you. You have to submit your life to him. And he really was born into this world. And because of that, hope can be born into your life this Christmas. God in the flesh. His name is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, the reality of your birth into this world is, is, is something that is just amazing, astonishes us. That we would wonder, God, why would you come and do what you did for us? Lord, that when we face the facts that we've broken your law, God, and we deserve the judgment, Lord, it should humble us knowing that you loved us so much that you came and paid the price. That, Lord, you weren't born into affluence and you weren't born into riches and you weren't born into the situations where anybody would be able to say, of course, look at that. Look, he showed up to those people. Lord, you were born into the most meager of circumstances to the poorest of the poor who were themselves rejected by others that were poor. Not born into a clean, perfect place, but into a feeding trough where animals surrounded you. And Lord, you did that so that you could fully identify with the depths of the difficulties we experience in life. You did that, Lord, so that you would be able to then offer us the free gift of salvation this Christmas. And God, we say thank you. But while we're praying with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I wanna give anybody in this room or anybody watching online an opportunity, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, and you recognize your need for him, he has been speaking to you, the Holy Spirit has been knocking on your heart, and you know I need to accept him as my Savior. I need to receive that free gift today. I just wanna pray with you in a moment to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, to have this Christmas be the best Christmas you will ever experience. And so while we're praying, heads bowed and eyes closed, if you wanna receive him in this room, just raise your hand where you're seated. See, I'd like to receive Jesus today. I wanna receive him as my Lord and Savior. If you're watching online, obviously I can't see you, but just let us know in the chat there that you'd like to receive Jesus, to receive the greatest gift of all, salvation and forgiveness from God who was born into this world to live and die for you. Anybody in this room, just raise your hand up where I could see it. Let me pray with you. God bless you on the side. Anybody else? God is speaking to your heart right now. He loves you so much. And he wants more than anything for you to receive this free gift today. Anybody else in this room? All right. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for those that are receiving you today. 
Lord, I pray, God, that as you change their lives, come into their heart and give them a whole brand new nature, Lord, that they would experience the blessing of a life lived for you, a life changed by you, that they would experience the blessing of the free gift of forgiveness, the grace and mercy that you're giving them right now, God, as they turn their life over to you. And so if you're in this room or watching online, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. It's a very simple prayer of just admitting who God is, your belief, your faith in that, and your trust in him. And so pray with me now and say, Lord Jesus, I believe you're God. I believe you were born into this world to live and die for me. I invite you into my life now. Please forgive me. Please save me. Please change my life. Teach me how to live for you. Teach me how to be like you. Teach me how to love like you. Thank you for loving me so much that you would offer this free gift to me today. I receive it. Thank you for being my Lord and Master. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you receive the Lord this morning, we have something we want to give you as a gift today um, just to kind of help you on this journey, this relationship you have with the Lord now. If you're online and you received Christ this morning, just let us know in chat. Our moderators will get in contact with you and we'll mail one out to you as well. But we just want to encourage you. Today your life has changed. Today you've received the most important gift you'll ever receive and just live in that. Walk in that. For the rest of us, you know, we gather this morning to kind of start this day celebrating Jesus, but it doesn't end today. It's every day of our life that we celebrate the gift that we've been given. It's every day of our life we go out to tell people that that gift is available to them. And so I pray that God would bless you today, would bless you in your celebrations today, would give you opportunity today to tell someone who doesn't know that Jesus is real, that he loves them and that he died for them, to tell them that truth to offer that gift to them as well. And I pray that God would richly bless your life every day as you live for him, to live in the truth of who he is and what he's done for you. God bless you guys.